the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You see, God in His love was trying to reach them, trying to reach all people. But when they refused to believe and to surrender to him, then God brought judgment to them by way of the Israelites who then engaged in battle and slaughtered them. So God is a just God. We can either, you know, understand his desire to reach us and then willingly come to him on bent knee, so to speak, humbling ourselves, or we will face judgment one day. God has continuously reached out to humanity to bring restoration to the broken fellowship due to the sin of man. Today, Pastor Gary will be reminding you that God desires that none should perish and that all would come to everlasting life. God is a righteous judge and He's holy, yet at the same time, He's loving and gracious. It's only by God's grace that you've been offered the chance to have your sins forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice. If this sacrifice is rejected, then you're still guilty of your sin. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 10, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. And therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. All right, pause there. So here's what's going on in in chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Joshua is basically a lengthy chapter about a military campaign. It will turn out to be a defensive battle that the Israelites will fight against the Amorites. There are five kings who are Amorites 
who uh, uh, govern over various cities. I'll show you in a moment on a map. And these five kings, under the leadership of the one king, the king of Jerusalem, uh, have gathered together, have assembled together. The king of Jerusalem has recruited four other neighboring kings of neighboring cities to come and to attack the Gibeonites uh, because the Gibeonites have allied themselves with the Israelites. So the Israelites then are going to come defend the Gibeonites and it's going to be a defensive war against these five kings that are attacking. Uh, now, that's what chapter 10 is primarily about. You're going to notice also in chapter 10 that there's a, an incredible miracle that occurs here. Uh, one of the most amazing miracles in all of the Bible. In fact, if you have subtitles in your Bibles, the subtitle of, in my Bible of chapter 10 says, the sun stands still. So there's this incredible miracle here in the Bible that we'll get to in a moment. But, but chapter 10 here is basically this military campaign. Now, I always need to feel it's important to clarify, not that God needs anybody to defend him. So I'm not trying to defend God, but I do want to kind of clarify when you look at What's going to happen here in chapter 10, there's, there's this very bloody war that happens here. There's a lot of killing, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of carnage, there's a lot of slaughter. And sometimes people stumble here and they, they read things like this in the Old Testament and they have a hard time understanding God in light of these military campaigns. So uh, I just want to emphasize again, we've kind of quoted this throughout the book of Joshua, but for those of you who are new to the study, Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. You can just, you can either turn there, you can just kind of jot down on the margin of your Bible right here. Genesis 15 and verse 16. And in Genesis 15, 16, it says this, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God said about the Amorites, these people who were perennial enemies of the Israelites, that their sin had not yet reached its full measure, its full extent. What does that mean? What we come to find out is that God, in an effort to reach all people, because even though God selected the Jewish people through whom he would ultimately reveal a Messiah, a Savior, Jesus, for the redemption of the whole world, God selected a race of people, a race of people that had not existed before, that were born as a result of the providential will of God, because God selected Abraham, who was a Gentile heathen, who did not worship God, but he worshiped the gods of, that were pagan gods at that time. And God selected one Gentile pagan heathen by the name of Abraham, originally his name was Abram, who was living in Ur in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is the land between the two rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Abraham was living in Iraq. And God tapped this one guy on the shoulder. It was just God's providential choice to do whatever he jolly well wants to do. And he selected Abraham that through his seed would come a race of people that had never existed before. And thus through Abraham came Isaac and Jacob and eventually then the race of the Jewish people through whom God would bring a Messiah for the redemption of the whole world. So even though when we read in the Old Testament that God had given birth, so to speak, through Abraham's seed to a race of people that uh, he loved and that he chose for this providential purpose, God still was interested in reaching all people. He, is, he was and is still interested in reaching all people. You understand, even when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, that the series of plagues that God implemented against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians, each of those 10 plagues was addressing 
each of the various gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And God said, why? So that the, the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. So that God would systematically address each of these various false gods of the Egyptians so that the Egyptians would realize, I guess our gods that we worship, the God of the, the, God of the Nile, the God, the sun God, uh, all these various gods aren't able to help us. No, because the only true God is superior to all of your false gods. And God's intent was so that even the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. So when we look at battles that happen in the Old Testament... And as we're going to see here in chapter 10, more battles as the Israelites move here within the promised land of Israel, and they're going to engage these various kings in battle. Now, this one happens to be a defensive one, but they're going to slaughter them. They're going to slaughter them. And, and it, sometimes it's hard. We look at this, we go, how could God allow this? How, you know, if he's a loving God, how could he allow this? Because Genesis 15, 16 says that the full measure of the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its extent. And what it means in the context of Genesis 15, 16 is that during 400 years, while the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God was dealing with the Amorite people and hoping and wanting, because it's the heart of God that none should perish, but all should turn to him through repentance. But the Amorites, he got allowed for a season their sinful ways to just continue, 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 while God was trying to reach them, reach them, reach them, until there came a point, and it happened to be 400 years that God was patient with them. That when they still refuse to believe and to bend the knee to the Lord, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then God implemented these military campaigns as a form of his judgment against them. You see, God in his love was trying to reach them, trying to reach all people. But when they refused to believe and to surrender to him, then God brought judgment to them by way of the Israelites who then engaged in battle and slaughtered them. So God is a just God. We can either, you know, understand his desire to reach us and then willingly come to him on bent knee, so to speak, humbling ourselves, or we will face judgment one day. I mean, this is just the way that God has always dealt with humanity. He wants to reach us. We can refuse him and rebel against him and face judgment. Or he wants to reach us. We can accept him, embrace him, surrender to him, and then We don't face judgment because the penalty intended for us was placed on Jesus. And so God in his sovereign ways is trying to reach people all through the Bible. It's just that in the Old Testament, when they rejected, he brought judgment. In the New Testament, when they reject, he still brings judgment. But because of the cross of Christ, we can escape judgment and the penalty that we deserve when we surrender our lives to him. So what's going on here? What's going on here is the Amorite people have refused to accept God. They have refused to yield to him. And so God says, all right, so you will suffer the consequences for this. Now, how do we know that the Amorites had an understanding of God and yet rejected? Well, because of of the example of Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2, you don't need to turn back there, but if you've been here for our study of Joshua, you will remember that before the Israelites had the first military campaign in the promised land, before they besieged Jericho as the first city that they would take, Joshua sent a couple of spies into Jericho. Rahab, this prostitute, Gentile woman who lived there in Jericho, hid the, the, the spies, took them in, and by her own declaration, she says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, we have heard, 
We know the Lord, what he has done. We heard how he is, to, how he is part of the Red Sea. We heard what, what has happened in Egypt. We have heard the reputation of God. And in Joshua 2, verse 11, she adds, this is a declaration coming from her own mouth, but she speaks on behalf of the people who knew and understood and yet rejected. She herself is going to receive and believe. And in Joshua 2.11, Rahab says, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. You see, by her testimony, she's helping us to understand. They knew. They knew who God was. They understood that he was the God of heaven and earth. They just didn't want to surrender to him. Now, Rahab's the exception. She and her family were spared. And we can all be spared when we surrender to the God of heaven and earth. You see, we don't have to face judgment. We don't have to suffer the consequences for our own sin. This is what Jesus died for. So God is merciful even through Old Testament and through New Testament. He, would, he, would, he, would, he wanted to be merciful to these people. And in fact, he was merciful to Rahab and to her family that he saved. And they became proselytes to Judaism. Rahab is listed in the genealogical record that leads to Jesus. This Gentile prostitute, loved by God, brought into the fold, forgiven, redeemed. She's a picture of all of us. But sadly, her neighbors are also a picture of people who have heard of the same reputation of God that Rahab came to know and understand and confess, but yet reject. And when they reject, there's consequences. That's what's happening again here in chapter 10. So, in this story in chapter 10, there's a king of Jerusalem at this particular time. By the way, in your Bibles, there in verse 1 of chapter 10, circle the word Jerusalem. It's the first time the city of Jerusalem is mentioned in all of the Bible, by name, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim the city of peace. First time it is mentioned in all of the Bible is right here in Joshua 10, verse 1. Now, just as kind of a side note, it's interesting how Muslims claim Jerusalem is one of their three most holy cities, Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem. And they lay claim to Jerusalem. But how many times is Jerusalem mentioned in the Quran? Not once. Interesting. Not once is Jerusalem mentioned in the Quran. You know how many times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible? More than 800 times. More than 800 times. This is the first place where it is mentioned. Now, this particular king's name is Adonai Zedek. His name means Adon, Adonai, it means Lord. Zedek means righteousness. Adonai Zedek means Lord of righteousness, but he's an imposter. He's not a lover of God. He's going to fight against God and the people of God. So this is a pagan king who at this particular time is occupying the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not a stronghold yet for the Israelites. Jerusalem is not yet the capital of their, of their nation. This is under still pagan control, and this pagan king is Adonai Zedek. He's the king of Jerusalem here. And he heard, verse 1 says... How Joshua taken Ai. Now, it's really not Joshua. Joshua is just the leader of God's people. It's God who gave them victory. So God took the city of Ai, utterly destroyed it. And God took Jericho and utterly destroyed it. And so, again, the king of Jerusalem, the pagan king, has heard. But what is he going to do? Instead of saying, okay, you serve a powerful God. We want to be friends. You know? how, can we, how can we get along with you? Instead, the king of Jerusalem says, we're going to fight you. 
Again, it's so simple, it's so typical of the human nature. It's like, okay, God is God. I can either surrender, yield to Him, and, you know, accept Him as Lord and have an amicable relationship, or I can fight against Him. It isn't going to work well for you if you try to fight against Him, as you'll see here in this chapter. So the King of Jerusalem recruits four other southern kings of the, of southern cities in the promised land there of Israel. And, and here's the location of these southern cities. He recruits the king of Jarmuth. He recruits the king of Hebron. He recruits the king of Lachish. And he recruits the king of Eglon. And their names are mentioned here uh, in verse uh, 3. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham. <laughs> what kind of a name is that? Hoham, king of Hebron. Piram, king of Jarmuth. Jephiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. So he recruits these four southern kings. So now there's five kings in all. And he says in verse, uh, verse 4, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So here's the location of Gibeon, uh, just a little further uh, northwest of Jerusalem. And why is this king of Jerusalem so intent on waging war against the people of Gibeon because they have uh, made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. Now, this will bring us up to speed. Back in chapter 9, if you remember from several weeks ago, since it's been a bit of a break here, um, the Gibeonites pretended to be people from a foreign land so that they wouldn't be destroyed. Now, you know, they, they make an alliance with Joshua and the Israelites, but under false pretenses because they know that they're going to be killed. So they try to deceive Joshua and the Israelites by saying that they've come from a foreign distant land and there's no need to kill us. We come in peace. And they put on tattered garments and worn out shoes and they carried moldy bread with them to give this appearance that they'd come from a distant land so that Joshua then would be deceived as he was and he made a covenant with them that he would not destroy them, that he would not kill them, that he would not make war against them. Now the Bible says that He didn't inquire of the Lord, but instead he sampled the provisions. It's always a mistake when when we don't seek God through prayer, and instead we rely on our physical senses. And so he looked at the moldy bread, and he he could tell that they were wearing worn-out clothes, and so he assumed that they actually had come from a distant land. They had just deceived Joshua. And instead of praying about it and getting God's counsel and wisdom, uh, he... um, um, unfortunately relied on his senses and was deceived. Nevertheless, he made an oath. And he said to the Gibeonites, we won't destroy you. Later he found out, oh, you're kind of neighbors of us. You're not really from a foreign land. But because he had made an oath, he was obligated to carry out his promise that he would not destroy them. He did relegate the Gibeonites to woodcutters and water carriers, but he spared their lives. So the king of Jerusalem, this pagan king, is recruiting four other kings because they want to make an example of the Gibeonites. They want to attack the people of Gibeon because they don't want any other cities in this area making alliance with the Israelites. So the king of Jerusalem thinks, we got to make examples of the Gibeonites. He recruits these four other kings in these other neighboring cities and says, we got to march up to the Gibeonites. Go with me. We're going to destroy them, and we'll make an example of them against all the other cities in our area here. Well, 
When all of this started to happen, look at verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So the Gibeonites send word to Joshua, who's encamped with the Israelites in Gilgal. Here on the map is Gilgal. It's just slightly west of the Jordan River. It's one of the first cities. It kind of became the base camp for the Israelites in waging these different military campaigns. And it was the first place that they would settle on the western side of the Jordan River. And this is where they are encamped. So the Gibeonites send word to the Israelites who are camped at Gilgal, come up and help us. We're about ready to be attacked. We, they, you know, these different kings are, they're, they're surrounding us. We need your help. You, you guys made a covenant with us. I know it was kind of under false pretenses, but you're supposed to be our friends. Come fight for us. And so it says in verse seven, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. All right. The distance from Gilgal to Gibeon is roughly 20 miles. And he's going to bring the Israelite army at night, you know, under the cover of darkness. So it's going to be about a 12-hour march at night, 20 miles. They will ascend about 3,300 feet from Gilgal to Gibeon. And uh, you got to imagine, you know, after all night marching, about 10, 12 hours to get there, uh, these guys are probably pretty spent, but nevertheless... Their ultimate strength is in the Lord, because the Lord says, Joshua, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm going to give you victory here. And having marched all night, it catches the king of Jerusalem and his four cohorts off guard. And, uh, and so it says in verse 10, and so the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Bethoron and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Bethoron that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Isn't that amazing? So those are some big hailstones. You think the ones that put dents in your car was bad? No, no, no. This is really going to leave a mark. Do you know what I'm saying to you? These people are dying from these hailstones. God is just pelting them with huge hailstones. I wonder what the army of Israel was thinking when they're like, you know, running after them and all of a sudden, like, whoa, this is pretty spectacular. You know, they didn't have to do a thing. More people died from the hailstones than died from the sword of the Israelites. Verse 12 says, and then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. When the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, this is a bold, a bold prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Let me just finish reading here a little bit, and I'll come back. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? Uh, so Joshua is referring to a book that we don't really know anything about. It is believed that the book of Joshua is basically a book of 
poems and songs that the Hebrews had recorded, but it's not anything in our Bibles. And so he refers to it, though. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the promised land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary, but there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.